Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. There is an important distinction between true and false ministers. Notice 2 Corinthians 1 verse 24. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. For by faith you stand. The Apostle Paul here says that true ministers are helpers of the brethren's joy. That means the other part of that verse is a very bad thing. True ministers do not have dominion over the people's faith. Yet false ministers do. This word dominion is also found in Genesis 1 verse 28. And it talks about how mankind has dominion over the animal kingdom. We have the freedom to kill and eat certain animals. We have total control over the animals. We can protect ourselves from them by killing them as well. We are in charge of the animal kingdom. But obviously having dominion over the brethren in this way would not be a very uplifting relationship. If, if true ministers had dominion over the brethren, like mankind has dominion over the animals, the brethren would be miserable. So we cannot have it that way in God's church. Now, of course, the Bible does talk about the ministry being shepherds. You can see that in Acts 20, verse 28, but also Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 explains a little bit more about what that actually means. Obviously, if the ministers are the shepherds in that analogy, that would make the brethren the sheep. But this is a good connotation. You can see here Ezekiel 34 verses 2 through 5. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and you clothe you with the wool. You kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. The diseased have you not strengthened. Neither have you healed that which was sick. Neither have you bound up that which was broken. Neither have you brought again that which was driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. This shows what happens when the ministry, the shepherds of the brethren, go astray. They're supposed to shepherd the brethren by protecting them, feeding them, 
strengthening them, healing them. Healing, of course, God does physical healing, but just even mental healing, helping, helping people think the right way again. But it also talks about binding up that which was broken. If people go astray, helping them return to God and certainly not ruling with force and cruelty. So being a shepherd to the brethren, like true ministers are, means protecting and feeding and doing all kinds of good things for the brethren, not slaughtering them, not letting beasts slaughter them. It's a very different connotation from having dominion over them, which really implies a lot more of a brutal reign, like having dominion over the animal kingdom. So there's a huge difference between being a shepherd of the brethren and having dominion over the brethren. True ministers are shepherds. They don't have dominion. (laughs) Now, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 24, which talks about this very bad trait of false ministers, how these false ministers have dominion over the faith of the people. This is really referring to the Babylonian mystery religion. This, this description perfectly fits the priesthood of the Babylonian mystery religion. Those priests, those pagan priests, exert dominion over their people in really three main ways. We're talking about a a great false religious system on earth today. Modern Babylon, which traces back to ancient Babylon, the hub of religious deception anciently. Modern Babylon today is really what you could call Rome, but just anything from that religious system, this Babylonian mystery religion where they exercise dominion over the people. And here are the three main ways they do this. They do this through confession, through restricting information from the people and through absorbing pagan ways. The book, the two Babylons by Alexander Hislop talks about how these priests of the Babylonian mystery religion exercise dominion over the faith of the people. And he does show how confession really does put the people in a state of fear. They're terrified of the priesthood. These people were required to go before the priests and confess everything wrong they had ever done in their entire lives. They were asked all kinds of invasive questions. Their purity was measured by the questions these priests would ask them in confession. And really, it wasn't real purity that the priests were looking for 
They wanted the people to strictly adhere to arbitrary practices, pagan rituals. They didn't, they didn't care about how well the people kept the Ten Commandments. To this day, when priests are leading confessionals with the people, they're not concerned about how well the people are keeping God's law. But they're basically guilt-tripping people into confessing everything to them. And the reason why the people would agree to do this is that's the only way they could be initiated into the mysteries. It's the only way they could be taught the Babylonian mystery religion. If they were not pure enough by the random standards of the priests, they could not learn these precious mysteries and their false gods would be upset with them for lying in confession and infiltrating the inner circle that was allowed to be taught the mysteries. So they had to honestly confess everything. Now you can imagine that these people would then be quite fearful of how the priests would interact with that private information about them. They have confessed every detail of their entire lives to the priesthood. And now they have to trust the priesthood to keep their mouths shut and not tell anybody else about it. That that's quite the power dynamic that the priests would have over the people. That is dominion over the people. Confession is a counterfeit of counsel. In God's church today, the Philadelphia Church of God, the ministry offers counsel, but people are not required to sit down regularly and counsel with the ministry. They are allowed to approach the ministry and ask for counsel when they feel they need it. They are not required to confess every detail of their private lives to the ministry, but if they want help, they are certainly allowed to ask for help. Notice Proverbs chapter 24, which talks about counsel. Proverbs 24 Verses five and six, a wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength for by wise counsel, you shall make your war and in multitude of counselors, there is safety. Counsel gives us the confidence to wage spiritual war. It's God speaking through a minister to us and assuring us that we are on the right track. Or helping us get on the right track if we're not. And when we know that we're going in the right direction, we can go all out and wage war. It also says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So even while we're waging spiritual war, we're also safe because God is on our side. There is tremendous benefit to counsel. But the difference between confession and counsel, confession is forced, it's obligatory, counsel is optional, it's by choice, 
Obviously, there are times where maybe the brethren need correction from the ministry. And that's a little bit of a different situation. But this just the general principle of counsel is that the brethren get to choose when they counsel and what they counsel about. But the Babylonian mystery religion exercised dominion over their people. They do it to this day through confession. They also do it through restricting information. In that great false religious system, which has existed for thousands of years, which is still in existence today, the people are bound to the priests because the priests are thought to have some sort of special code from heaven. And they're the only ones who can understand truth. That's why many Catholics don't even bother to read the Bible. They are taught that they should just follow whatever the priests say. The priests know best, even if what they're saying is exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. And they're just led along blindly by the priests. They actually, in this Babylonian mystery religion, withhold information from certain people. There is an inner circle, a higher up group that gets access to more of the mysteries. But then there's also a lower level group and some of the mysteries are purposely withheld from them. Maybe they're not pure enough to know all of the truth, the so-called truth. So they restrict information from their people. They, they even hold church services in Latin and no one can understand what they're saying, but they just trust that the priests know what they're doing and they follow along. This practice of restricting information from the people is a way of exercising dominion over them, having total control over them. It prevents Bible study. Acts 17 verse 11 praises the Bereans because they searched the scriptures daily. They proved whether what they were being taught was actually true. They didn't have to take a priest's word for it. They could prove it straight from the Bible. They exercised the right to independent study thinking about, praying about, and proving their beliefs, not just blindly following a man. Now, one more way besides confession and restricting information that the Babylonian mystery religion exercises dominion over the people, which is a very bad thing. It's like man being in charge of the animals, is that they absorbed pagan ways. We are in the midst of a pagan holiday season. Now, obviously, it seems like a lot of people are having a pretty good time. It seems like gathering around the fire, sharing gifts, having a drink, going out to party. It all seems so good and so fun. And yet, 
we have to really consider what these ways are all about and where they actually came from. There's actually a strong link between Christmas and New Year's going back over 4,000 years, even though Christ was only born 2,000 years ago, just about. So how, how, is, how does that work? How has Christmas been around twice as long as Christ? This is what it says in 4,000 Years of Christmas, a book by Earl W. Count. Mesopotamia is the very ancient mother of civilization. Christmas began there over 4,000 years ago as the festival which renewed the world for another year. The 12 days of Christmas, the bright fires and probably the Yule log, the giving of presents, the carnivals with their floats, their merrymakings and clownings, the mummers who sing and play from house to house, the feastings, the church processions with their lights and song. All these and more began there centuries before Christ was born. And they celebrated the arrival of a new year. It's so easy for us just to say, well, who cares where these holidays originated? And we would be justified in keeping these days, if not for God's commands. Jeremiah 10 verse 2, God commands us, learn not the way of the heathen. It is a heathen custom celebrating Christmas, which is linked to New Year's as well. New Year's celebrations were set up on January 1st by Julius Caesar in 46 BC. And he transferred all the pagan customs of the Roman Saturnalia to January 1st. This pagan Roman feast of Saturnalia was a time of partying and drinking and orgies and human sacrifice. It so often goes back to human sacrifice. What is the obsession with throwing people in a fire or cutting them up? These pagan practices are rife with human sacrifice. It doesn't get any worse than that. And so Saturnalia was transferred on to January 1st by Julius Caesar. These pagan practices moved to the fake first day of the year. In the middle of winter, for some reason, they're starting a new year. In 375 AD, so basically over 400 years later, the Emperor Constantine imposed Christianity on the entire Roman world. That was a vast landscape with many people who had man, many pagan customs. And now all of a sudden they're forced to be Christian. They liked Saturnalia. They liked all these other practices. They didn't want to give up their pagan ways to become Christian just because the emperor said so. And so at first... 
the church fathers tried to help people eliminate their pagan ways, but eventually they gave in and they compromised. They decided to take all the merriment, the greenery, the gifts from Saturnalia and transfer that over to supposedly worshiping the baby Jesus Christ. The pagan Romans didn't even have to change. And they still were considered Christians. The priests absorbed them and their pagan ways into the Babylonian mystery religion. It looks like Christianity. Many people think it is Christianity. And yet it's just a fusion of paganness with some twisted scriptures in the Bible. They'll twist the words of the Bible to mean whatever they want them to mean. And they'll absorb all kinds of pagan ways, anything to expand the power of the Babylonian mystery religion, anything to get more subjects and more money. Sure. You can go ahead and keep on practicing your orgies and child sacrifice in the name of Jesus Christ, just do it in the name of Jesus Christ and we'll call you a Christian. Absolutely incredible. During the Middle Ages, a lot of the Teutonic peoples were absorbed into this practice and they brought in the customary Yule log and the mistletoe. The Yule log is part of the bonfires of sun worship. The mistletoe is a symbol of sex worship. So they added some new customs to their Christmas slash New Year's celebrations. And very briefly, the date was changed to March 25th. And that, that was so that they could bring in the Germanic peoples and assimilate their spring practices, their rites of fertility. So they moved all the New Year's customs into March, and that way they could absorb the Germanic peoples as well. But then in 1582, Pope Gregory moved it all back to January 1st, and all these Catholic European countries went along with it. They all absorbed Christmas and New Year's, these ancient pagan practices into Christianity and pretty much made it a law of the state. Now, again, the only reason we should care about this is because God does. If God doesn't exist, if God doesn't care, then we have every right to sacrifice other human beings. It's really that simple. God says not to do that, and that's the only thing restraining us from doing it. Sadly, that's just how it is. You can see that from all these pagan practices. They don't believe in God. They don't honor God. And therefore, they go ahead with all these vile acts. Deuteronomy 12, verses 30 and 31. God warned ancient Israel, don't ask how these Gentile nations worship their gods. Don't try to copy the way they worship their gods. 
because they practice abominations and I hate it. That's what God says about these customs. God hates it. Jesus Christ warned about worshiping him in vain by just keeping to their traditions. This is Mark 7. Worshiping God in vain by rejecting his commandments and holding on to their traditions instead. Now, God says we are free to act pagan. We all have a choice. We can do this in defiance of God if we really want to. The one thing he asks, though, is don't take these pagan things and pretend that they're Christian. Ezekiel 20, verse 39, he says, As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the eternal God, Go you, serve you every one his idols, and thereafter also, if you will not hearken unto me, but pollute you my holy name no more with your gifts and with your idols. God says you can be pagan, but don't pretend it's Christian. Don't pretend that Christmas and New Year's are Christian when really they're just part of the Babylonian mystery religion. They're part of the priests exercising dominion over the people along with confession, restricting information from the people. They absorb pagan ways and pretend those ways are Christian. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.